Hello, welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. As I'm sure you're aware of, I do not work with a ton of brands. And the reason I don't is because if I'm going to bring it into your life, into your ear, into all the things, I have to be willing to bring it into mine. And I only want to partner with brands that have high levels of integrity, high levels of quality. And that's why I'm so pumped up to have found Organifi. You know, I had Drew Canoli founder on the podcast. You should check out that episode. It's so great. You can learn a little bit more about him and his story and why he founded it. And if you don't know what Organifi is, it's a line of organic superfood blends that they they offer plant-based nutrition. And it's made with high quality ingredients. Each blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than three grams of sugar per serving. So the green juice, which let's be honest, I don't know if you've ever had a green juice, but it usually tastes like lawnmower cuttings mixed with water. It's gross. It's actually super delicious. I have it every morning. It's just such a great way to start the day. They also have Organifi Gold, which is a superfood tea that supports rest and relaxation so you can wake up feeling refreshed. Each is easy to use. You just mix it with water or your favorite beverage while you're going, while you're out and about, and they do not compromise quality for taste. It's delicious. So they take pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. So all you got to do is go to Organifi.com slash create the love and use the code create the love and you get 20% off your order. And right now you get free shipping. And that's just specific to Create the Lovers. So once again, you go to Organifi.com slash Create the Love and the code Create the Love gets you 20% off any item and free shipping. I can't wait for you to try it out. Coming at you with a solo episode, jamming on all things that are happening in my life and I'm thinking about. I want to share with you a couple things that I wrote. The first one is this. You will never be good enough for the standards you've set that are designed to never be met. That's the trick of unworthiness. It just designs your life so it doesn't have to die. Let it die. Let the standards fall away. Surrender. Be not good enough. And then just be. Allow kindness and generosity to flow through you. Let grace melt your heart. And then give the same gift to all those whom you meet. Let this state be your new standard for yourself and others. I've always been fascinated by what I would maybe call the disease of unworthiness. That it seems like what lingers below all of us is this feeling that we are just not enough, that the reason our parents didn't show up or one was an alcoholic or we were abused or whatever happened always gets internalized as it was because of me. And that's the trick of the child mind. You know, the child mind is very narcissistic. And I I don't mean that in the traditional clinical definition. I just mean narcissistic in the fact that it, it makes everything about itself because that's survival. You know, because we, when our need doesn't get met, we shape our behavior to get our need met, even if it's an unhealthy way of getting it met. So all of these 
things which we might call personality traits, like perfectionism or, oh, I don't sweat the small stuff, or uh, OCD, you know, all these types of things are actually just coping mechanisms. They're survival strategies, the things that we call our personality, are ways that we label things that were really just ways that we could get love or be noticed or try to at least. And that's sort of the trick of unworthiness is that it is constantly, you're playing whack-a-mole with it. Because even if you achieve something, the moment you achieve it, you'll either think it's not about you or you'll question whether it was about you and you'll just set a new target. Like the moment you finish a race, it's about planning the next race. The moment you get the promotion, it's about planning, oh, what do I have to do now? It's this, it's because that's the trick of it is, is that it is what has motivated us, you know, in some way. And this is this idea that our pain can be a great birthplace for creativity. It can be where, you know, like really ultimately my work, Create the Love, was born out of pain, out of not understanding why I couldn't show up to a relationship. Why did I never get taught it? How could I not choose someone who's good for me? Like all these different questions that were about experiencing the pain of it. The pain of the unknown, the pain of uncertainty. I have a friend who went in for open heart surgery this week and had a valve transplant at a young age. And I have really considered what what it means to be alive. I did that before. It's experiencing a friend who, you know, faces was facing death, and 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 the thing is, is we're facing death when we have an illness. We're facing death when we're standing on a street and a bus is barreling towards us. We're literally in the face of death. We have to consider it. We're forced to consider it. And maybe meet it. And I come back to this all the time because I don't know that we actually recognize how valuable turning towards our death is. How valuable knowing that you really have no moments that are guaranteed and that should be your motivator to do everything, to leave nothing on the table. But it's often the reason we don't do things. You know, and I hope that just hearing these words is enough for you to consider how you want to live and who you want to be and how you want to relate. I mean, it makes the hard conversations seem so insignificant. And not to say that they're not significant, but what do you really have to lose other than the death of an ego? You know, like if your partner decides that they don't want to be with you, or you decide that you don't want to be with someone after having hard conversations and trying and doing all those things. If you're still spinning your wheels, trying to convince them to change and trying to change yourself or whatever it is, it's like, what do you actually lose by losing them? Because it really ends up just being this chase of unworthiness, right? They still won't fight for me. I'm still not enough for them to change. Oh, they're still, they're so great. Why can't I change? Why can't I choose them? You know, sometimes things just don't make sense to the mind. 
Sometimes they just don't make sense. There's not a book for it. There's not a podcast that's going to explain it. There's not, you know, a lightning bolt from enough green juice and psilocybin and LSD and marijuana and cocaine and sex and blowjobs and whatever it is that you try to find answers in. I mean, good place to try to find an answer in a couple of those, you know. It's at least exciting and going to give you a little bit of arousal, but at the end of the day, the answers won't be there. They'll be in inside of you. And you might not like the answer. Often the answers that are real and true are ones we don't like because they, they, are, they require us to do something we've never done. To stand in the truth of who we are. To declare no more. Or to, to declare, yes, I will allow you in my heart for the first time. To declare, yes, maybe I do actually know what I'm doing. To use a voice to really step into an experience that is likely changing generations of inherited patterns. That's why I often tell people that when you're changing something in your life, and it seems insurmountable, it seems like you want to get those words out and you just can't, or you know what's good for you, but you can't choose it. It's because no one likely has ever faced that thing like you're being invited to. No one's actually said no, or said I'm done, or said this isn't healthy, or said I'm worthy of more. This is why the contagion of unworthiness is so easy to be trapped in. Because if you see the people around you who, who live in a prison of unworthiness, of like, well, of course I can't pursue that dream. I'll never get it. You know, it's like when you tell someone that you want to do something and they go, have you, do you know how many people already do that? And you're like, do you know how many people are assholes? You, <laughs> you know? And really what they're doing, though, is just protecting you from rejection. They're protecting you from experiencing failure because that's what has kept them locked in the prison of their own lives. And so they actually aren't the people that you go to for advice because they can't give you advice. They don't know the way out of the prison of unworthiness and fear of rejection. I was talking to my friend the other day and I said, what are the reasons that people don't do everything they love? What are the reasons that people don't take leaps she said, well, and I said, you know, it's fear of rejection and fear of death, in my opinion. She said, well, like fear of, of failing, I'm like, which is ultimately rejection, right? And we had this great discussion about it and this exploration that really, other than the fear of rejection, which is ultimately an experience of death, and that we place our worthiness in other people's hands. So it's a continued reminder that our power is not within us. It's in what people think about us. And when I first started writing, I wanted to write under a ghost name. I was terrified, terrified to share. For people to see that Mark Groves was writing about this stuff because my identity and my vulnerabilities, the masks I wore were requiring being taken off. The guards I've built, you know, I had built to live within myself secretly was a great game. It worked till my soul was calling me to so much more. 
and I couldn't ignore it anymore. And I, I remember thinking like, oh, I want to write under this different name. And I just couldn't do it. I realized that. And that's the first part often, you know, is we might create an anonymous Twitter account or write some shit. Or, you know, and this isn't to say any of that's wrong. It's just for me, it was playing safe. It was like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. Oh, but I'll only kind of do it. And that's often what we do to protect ourselves from full exposure. You know, it's kind of like when you start laying boundaries down. The first boundary you might lay down, don't lay it down with the hardest place to place a boundary, like with your mom and dad or the one where you're like most toxic friend. Lay it down when someone says like, hey, can you have lunch tomorrow? And you're like, actually, that doesn't work for me. Oh, my God. Right? Hey, I'd like to go on a date with you. Actually, I'm not dating right now. Not interested. You know, like that type of stuff is able to play in the space. Because what happens when we have never really, if we live a boundaryless life, we're going to feel unworthy. That first off, that's an important thing to say. If, if you do not feel safe within the container of yourself, you're not going to feel worthy because every time that you are a doormat to someone else's behavior or you bend and people please, you're sending the message to yourself that you're not worthy of protection. You're not worthy of better behavior. You're not worthy of. And this isn't, you know, shaming any of that. This isn't shaming. I'm just pointing out that the unworthiness lingers in that space because we don't feel like we're curating ourselves. And this is why I've said before that resentment always lives as a mirror that you don't prioritize yourself. Always, 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 always. Resentment is always a sign where you need a boundary, where you need to choose yourself, where you need to express yourself, where you need to declare yourselves. And often a lot of us live in a prison of, of resentment. It's just our normal. And then we go hang out with our friends who all resent their partners and their lives. And then we have a lot of wine. We wash down resentment. Tastes great with a Cabernet. Resentment just washes it down. Tastes super good. Pairs nicely, if I do say so. But in that space of, of unworthiness, of like these boundaries is where we begin to build worth. We begin to build this opportunity for us to really stand in what we want. And whenever you lay a boundary down, when you have not lived, when you've lived, sorry, a boundaryless life, you will experience guilt. And that's normal, especially, especially if you're Catholic, you get extra guilt. Like guilt on guilt steroids. Because they're like, oh, well, the way we know how to control everyone's behavior is we'll just instill guilt in them. So observe the guilt. You can actually learn to increase your tolerance for guilt. Just so you know, you can do that. It's a core emotion. It's often a necessary emotion because if we have done something bad, it's important to feel something that we can become aware of that so we can change our behavior. You don't change your behavior and you keep repeating it, you'll live in a space of pain. So you can increase your tolerance for guilt and you can also learn to sit with that discomfort because what you're really sitting in is the discomfort of putting your needs ahead of someone else's. It's the healing of people-pleasing behavior. And you will feel selfish, you might get called selfish because that's again another guilt tactic. You're being selfish. What about me? What about us? What about... 
your family? What about this? What about that? But this is where you really require this space to yourself. Meditation time, get up earlier than anyone. You have to want this shit. You have to want this. And you know, I hear people all the time say, I want to feel this way. I don't like feeling this way. And I want this and I want that. I'm like, you don't just get to feel how you want to fucking feel. You have to choose your way towards it. You have to decide that you're going to find gratitude in the smallest thing. Which is hard, right? When you're in the depths of grief, find gratitude in just the fact you can feel. Just the fact you can feel. And that's enough. That's enough to just say, there's something in me that can see the light out of this. All things change. And there's no growth without death. That is true of all things. That's how the universe works. There is no growth without death. A part of you will always have to die for another part of you to be born. And it's usually the part of you that is clinging to certainty. It's the part of you that's afraid of rejection, the part of you that is afraid of death. And it's not mortal, right? It's not just a mortal death. It is the death of a self that the survival strategy, the perfectionism, the people pleasing, the trying to fix everybody else, the codependency, the OCD, the control, 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 the I'm never enough that drives you. That can be the dark motivation and not dark being bad, but a shadow motivation that gets you to the place where you go, I'm willing to let that go. I'm willing to let that die. I will no longer allow unworthiness to decide that I don't show up for my fucking self. That's why this work on relationship is, it always comes back to the same thing. Like whenever anyone comes to me about couples challenges, it's always really about considering yourself. You know, we, I remember Michelle Obama in an interview. I've never quoted a Michelle Obama. I like this. I remember her in an interview. She said that she was, she wanted Barack to go to couples therapy with her because she couldn't wait for the couples therapist to tell Barack how many things he had to fix and how many things were going on with him. And when she got there, the couples therapist explained and expressed to her that she was part of what was happening. That's why it's a dance. It's always a dance. And if you can actually say, like, even in this, you know, language that we have about narcissism, oh, he's a narcissist, she's a narcissist. I'm not dismissing that someone can be a narcissist. It's just that our diagnosis on Instagram is much higher than the actual global diagnosis of it. And it's when we label someone with that title, we instantly become a victim of their behavior, which is not to remove the impact of their behavior or me to dismiss or discredit that you've experienced it, not doing that. So don't sing that song because I won't listen because I'm not discrediting the pain. And if you have experienced suffering at the hands of someone who's narcissistic, my heart goes to you. My heart goes to anyone who's experienced suffering. But in the suffering, you know, in that dynamic is the real question, which is, why am I a match to that behavior? Why do I find myself in repeated patterns that other people don't? And that's responsibility. I express that all the time. It's 
relationships are too beautiful of a container for growth and reflection and mirrors to, to avoid, to not look at. But because our worth is attached to our relationship performance, we're afraid to look at it because then it means we suck. It means we're not good enough. And that's where the ego has to start to die. You have to become the observer of your behavior like a scientist. Where you can say, I'm actually not good at that thing. Oh, wait, I'm participating in the people I date? Whoa, 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 no. I go to this one coffee shop where only assholes go. And that's, it's not my fault that only assholes go there. You know, and that's, I know that's a dramatic example, but that's my point. Is the moment we can say, why am I a match to what I'm attracting? Why does their behavior not cause me to red flag it? Why much earlier does someone else say that person is a shitty person to be with? But I'm like, no, 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 no. Oh, you know, no. It was Saturday and they were tired and there was... This is what we do. We make excuses for people who don't even make excuses for themselves. If you find yourself doing that, that's a giant red flag that you're you're disconnecting from the truth of what your reality is. If you find that your partner is pushing you away from people who are close to you, that's a giant red flag. If you cancel plans on them and they go not bar, that's a giant red flag. If their communication is inconsistent at the beginning, giant red flag. If yours is, giant red flag. Start to pay attention to how you show up to things. What you ask for in a partner. I want this and I want that. But are you this and that? Do you do this and that? So important to consider that what you attract is what you need to learn. And the lessons that are coming up in your relationship are a beautiful curriculum. You know, in the relationship to death, I don't cling. You know, I don't, when someone commits suicide, I don't think like they should have stayed longer because that's not for me to decide. And when we have a relationship with death where we can't accept our own, we'll have a hard time accepting other people's. And it's a fascinating thing to consider when you can turn towards it and find peace with it. Because when you actually just come to terms with it, all of a sudden you're like, well, shit, I got nothing to lose now. Let's fucking watch what happens. I guess I could get hit by a train next week. I might as well just tell that person I'm not happy with their behavior. So you're saying tomorrow I could eat something and die? Yes, I am. You could get coronavirus. Right? You could get coronavirus. So many things could happen. And what a great thing to consider. Oh, yeah, that could happen. I could. Well, I might as well tell that person I like them then. Oh, I might as well tell my partner I feel disconnected from them. Hmm, I might as well read that book that I've been putting off because it's going to tell me something I don't want to hear. I might as well change. Because the way I've been being is not actually producing the type of life I want. What a gift to know that you have no tomorrow promised to you. So you might as well show up fully today.
So I went up on, I was at a retreat in Hawaii, um, I'm sure some of you know, uh, a couple weeks ago. And I went up on the stage and shared, you know, just what I was going through, some of the things I was thinking about. And, um, I was sharing it with uh, the two instructors. One was Gangaji and her husband, Eli. And I shared with uh, with them, you know, that, you know, I confronted death. I'm at peace with it. I feel like I live my life very on purpose and service. I love what I do. I love the things I talk about. I don't say yes to things I don't want to say yes to. I feel pretty great. And we're really talking about, like, what I'm afraid of, you know, afraid of more silence, afraid of more stillness, afraid of quiet. And I knew that. I mean, I went up knowing what they were likely going to say to me. And at the and it was like, go in there. What am I afraid to find in, in the space of silence and no distractions and not drinking, smoking weed and you know, whatever pulls you away from you. And I'd heard them speak earlier and someone else was sharing that they were sober and that they did all these things. And and I've been sober from alcohol for a year now, this uh, last week and a bit ago. And one of the best choices I've ever made in my life. And I didn't make it from like, I was fucking blacking out and time traveling and, you know, waking up in the wrong place and all that kind of stuff. It just didn't feel aligned anymore. And it might in the future, who knows? Because I don't want to live this sort of restrictive life that I don't have a healthy relationship with things, but that I can sit with them and say, hmm, does this serve me or does it not? And it still doesn't serve me to drink, so I'm still not drinking. But one thing I heard um, them say to this guy is he said, like, what is the next step? And they said, get more sober. Get sober from everything that pulls you away from who you truly are. And I was like, ah, shit, that's a good one. (laughs) You know, one of those truths that hits you in the dingleberries, if you have dingleberries. I'm pretty sure that could mean anything metaphorically. So... When I'm sitting up there, I, you know, we have this discussion and it's like, what am I afraid of finding more of me in that space, you know, which feels both beautiful, the idea of diving further into myself and, and scary. And I, you know, I didn't know why it would be scary. It didn't make sense to me, but I think it was because when I did it, when I left that stage, I was said to them on my way of getting up thank you for the reminder. And Eli put his hand out and was like, it's not a reminder. It doesn't go on your to-do list. And I thought, what is that? Hmm, hmm, that, there's something in there. So I sat down and I thought to myself, oh yeah, you need to be reminded of things you haven't integrated. You need to be reminded of things you haven't accepted. You need to be reminded of truths that you don't live. And I was like, fuck that. Like, I need to accept this truth that I need to dive into silence. And if you've been listening for a while, you know that I have a rule that as soon as I learn something, I change. I change my life. 
It's a requirement. So I dove into silence. I went snorkeling on my own. I went for runs. I left my phone at home. You know, like all those things. Everything that felt like it was pulling me away from who I really am and the space of conversation within myself. And it was fascinating what I found, what I was afraid of, was that I hadn't visited those parts of me in so long. Even though, you know, I've certainly spent time in quiet and done a digital detox and, you know, in the woods and all those types of things. I hadn't really sat within myself fully and just let everything fall away and just pay attention to my breath and my body and my heart. And there's an interesting thing that happens in that moment of complete immersion within yourself, sort of the falling away of your identity, your name, your beliefs, your story, all of that. And you see that you're just the same as everybody. We're all just people trying to figure out how to fucking do this thing. You know, we all have weird thoughts, (laughs) you know? We do, and we try to pretend we don't. We all have weird sexual desires, which is normal and human, you know, when it's not birthed from suppression of things and repression. We all are just doing the best we can. And I think from that, you know, I felt an immense amount of beauty. I felt peace. I felt a dissolution of me and more connected to the ocean, trees, beaches, grass, it didn't matter what it is. But especially other people. When you pay attention to it and you just start noticing it, and I hope you do this, just start really paying attention, If especially if you identify as an empath, but I promise you, everybody, if you're listening, you're like, I'm not an empath. You are, you just learn to shut it off. Probably because you picked up energies you didn't like. But now that we're adults listening to this, you know, which I don't even know what that means because who wants to define what an adult is? It sounds like a lot of responsibility, but, you know, it's a, you have the ability to decide and curate what energies you allow. But what you'll find is that's your access to empathy, but it's also your access to compassion, And there's this line that happens where we go from perhaps having no compassion or empathy to someone else because we don't have any for ourselves and we learn to sit within the space of allowing our our emotions to occur and get to know them. And then there's another step where we begin to experience the emotions of others and perhaps you're someone who focuses solely on other people's emotions and not your own as a way of not being present to yourself. So there's then that dynamic. And then there's a line where you have both your experience and others' experience. And then there's a space 
where it all becomes the same experience. And that is the space where you start to have care and concern for the environment and care and concern for animals. And you don't want to step on an ant. You don't want to do those things. And that's a hard one because there's, I really have to kill mosquitoes. (laughs) Fuck, man, I get the worst mosquito bites. But (laughs) I'm like a squirrel brain, but I get the worst mosquito bites and I feel bad killing them, but I have to. They give me so many goddamn mosquito bites. But the, maybe the world can be better with with a few less mosquitoes. But my point is, is that there's a line where who you are dissolves and someone else's pain becomes your pain. And I think that really then begins, and this isn't about right or wrong or about left or right or blue or red or depending on you know where you live in the world, how that translates to political selections or um, just what you stand for. And it's like, do the things you choose to support contribute to the suffering of let's, let's just make it easy, other people? You know, do they? And we live in a world that is very capitalistic driven, that is about making money, money, money. And I'm not saying money's bad. I didn't, that's not bad. But it's at the cost of what? When is enough enough? You know, we celebrate in the corporate world sociopathic, narcissistic thinking that I will succeed at the cost of anything. And when we have shareholder-driven companies, again, this isn't wrong. It's just that the construct, often because it's controlled by humans, starts to an unhealthy, unintegrated humans at the top often, not always. Then they chase their worth through achievement. If they're male, they found their, they get rewarded for status and power. And at what cost? You know, because when you start to melt away this idea of who you are, which is not to say that you're also participating in the human game and the system and being who you are, you know, you put on one hat and I'm Mark, human connection specialist, and another time I'm not. I might be, oh, I'm an entertainer because I'm on stage or I'm a podcast host or whatever. You still participate, but can you hold all of it at the same time? And when you do that, why would you want anyone else to suffer? Why would you choose fiscal gain at the cost of human experience, someone else's life? Because I, you know, I think the research shows that past 70 grand, I mean, the quality of your life doesn't really your happiness doesn't change much. It's just like your shit gets nicer. But you still got the same shit. You know, your t-shirts are just more expensive. Your underwear might be a little slicker. But when you dissolve those lines between you and other, then you're connected to what this is. And if you're female and you have a cycle, I mean, you're connected to the circadian rhythm of life. I mean, I think that's so fascinating. And uh, I don't mean to be gender specific, but that is true of the feminine, that the cycle itself is connected to the moons and all these incredible things, you know? And I just think when we disconnect from that, we disconnect from what is 
human, from what is this beautiful experience. And when you connect back to this all being one, which is not this idea of uh, it needing to be spiritual or it needing to be anything like that, but when you wake up to the collective nature of the experience that what I do influences what you do, that relationally everything's a dance, that when I say something to you, you're reacting to me. When I put salt in this, it causes this change in my body when I drink it because it's all about balance. No energy lost, no energy gain. The universe works in perfect harmony. And that is true, true, true. And then you see that you're just part of this really giant organism, which is the earth. And who knows how the fuck all this happened. But when you actually connect to the insignificance of you and both the significance of you and the significance of life and also the fleeting nature of life, there's all these paradoxes that you get to live in. That you are born of the world, not into the world. You know, I love how Alan Watts says that when you see the world, it's created in your optic nerve. So is the world in your optic nerve? Are you in the world? Such a fascinating thing to think about. I often consider this idea that we are just the microbiome of the earth. And and in some ways a virus. But we don't have to be, right? Like that's why there's that saying that hurt people hurt people, but... Heal people, heal people too. What a beautiful gift that is. Healed people, heal people. So that's why your internal waking up, your internal work, your learning how to handle conflict, the way you show up in life, deciding that you want to take responsibility for your life leads to movements, big grand movements like Me Too and, you know, the Women's March and fighting against environmental issues and fighting for equal rights and the rehumanization of people who've been dehumanized and all of these different things, they become movements that change the world. And that's why when you heal yourself, you heal the world. And what a significant thing that is. Every single thing you do has an impact. And really it's just these simple questions like, how do you want to feel? Who do you want to be? You know, and, and that, what are you capable of? What, what unrealized potential are you not stepping into? What unrealized potential are you not stepping into? What are you leaving on the table? For what? Waiting for what? What day are you going to start? Oh, after I have that next thing, or after I do that next thing. Start now. Start now. Because we need you. I need you. People around you need you. You have dreams that you're leaving unrealized. And whatever you think might be failure is really just redirection. It's just, oh, I think my dream is this. And then you find out that it's not. And you're like, well, fuck, now i got to start over. No, you don't. Continue, continue, continue. And what a gift it is. Man, I never forget that. And if I'm redundant about that, good. Because what a gift it is to wake up every morning and breathe this air. 
and to have the privilege of being born and expressed in consciousness as a human. I mean, it'd be great to be a tree. You live a long time. You don't, I mean, I, as far as I know, you're not like, oh man, this branch looks so bad. I'd like a new branch over here, please. And my bark, like, why am I a Douglas fir? I really wanted to be a birch. This is bullshit. You know what, like, that's the thing about conscious choice, about being a human is if we have consciousness that is expressed differently than other animals and expressions. But in this, in this incarnation, you're not a rock. You're not the microphone I'm talking into. You're not a tree. You're not a dog. You're not a cat. You're human. And that comes with responsibility to show up to be better, to do better, to choose your life, and to stop. Stop trying to chase things that aren't serving you. Stop trying to convince people to love you. Stop putting your worth in other people's hands. Stop it all. And start everything that you know you need to begin. And you can do it right now. Follow the nudges. Sending you big love.